Well, I want to add my own congratulations to these, uh, these graduates. This is a, a big, big season for you, finishing high school. I know you're excited about that. You're going to miss some of your friends, but you're excited about finishing uh, high school and, and going forward with college and different things. And, and the next four years are going to be filled with a lot of experience and a lot of changes. Some of you are going to change your major a time or two. Uh, a few of you may change schools a time or two. Um, you're going to make new friends and uh, lose connections, contact with some old friends. Some of you over the next uh, few years are going to meet your spouse. You're going to fall in love with someone that you don't even know exists yet. God's already picked that person out for you. And if you live for him, you will, uh, you'll meet that person and, and things will go well. If you don't live for God, you might miss God's blessing. But God's got a lot in store for you. Monice and I did not date while I was in college. We knew each other from high school. Um, I had finished college, was in seminary. It was her senior year of college we started dating, January of that, uh, of her senior, senior year. And uh, what you're seeing on the screen are some, some flowers that I purchased Friday and brought home. No, no special occasion, just, just for her. It's not her birthday, my birthday, not her anniversary, not the date of our first date. No, no, nothing special, no, no big deal, no, no date on the calendar, no, no holiday. I just thought I'd buy some flowers and bring them to my sweetie, to my bride, to the love of my life. And, and just, a, you know, in a simple uh, way on that, on that particular Friday, say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And you're going, to, you're going to discover in life, if you keep relationships healthy, whether it's marriage or relationships with your family, you have to do things all along the way to keep those relationships healthy. You have to do things to express love. It's also true in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And today as we continue this teaching series titled People Jesus Bragged On, I want us to look at a, at a woman who expressed so much love for Jesus that that. That at the end of this story, Jesus bragged on her. And what he, what he said about her was, she loves much. She loved him a bunch. And I think we can learn some things from her story because she was a woman with a bad reputation. In fact, the Bible tells us she had lived a pretty sinful, immoral lifestyle. In all likelihood, she was a, a prostitute and people in that town knew about her. But on some occasion before the occasion we're going to look at, she'd heard Jesus' message and had received forgiveness and her life was changed and she was so filled with gratitude. She was so thankful. It, it just overflowed and, and in a very public way in front of a lot of people, she, she left no doubt for anyone that she loved Jesus and he bragged on her. And I want us to learn some lessons from her story about loving Jesus Christ. So I, take you, I ask you to take your Bible and open it to, to Luke chapter 7. Because here, here's the truth, okay? Whether you're young or old, here's, here's the truth. This Christian life has a lot of things that are part of it. But at its essence, at its core, it's all about loving Jesus and allowing him to love us. That, that's the essence of it. That's the heart of it. And it's just like couples, as the years go by, can get busy doing life. 
They, they can get busy with the jobs, get busy raising kids, get busy, you know, taking care of the house, paying the bills, and they allow the love, they allow the romance to diminish and to, to gradually die. And that's, that's what leads to a lot of affairs, to, to a lot of divorce. You, you can do the same thing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you can become so familiar with attending church and Sunday school, doing the religious thing, you, you can have known Jesus so long that after a while, you just start taking it for granted. And, and you don't do anything to rekindle the flame. In, in the book of Revelation, Jesus talked about Christians who left their first love. It just kind of backed away. Nobody, nobody stood up and just said, hey, I, I don't want to love Jesus anymore. It just kind of died on the vine. It just kind of grew weak because it was neglected just like some couples do with their marriage. And so I think we can learn some things that will help us to say, I'm never going to let that happen in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm never going to allow my love for him to die, so to speak. I'm going to keep it alive. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to foster it. I'm going to encourage it. I'm going to stoke the flames. I'm going to love Jesus more when I, when I graduate college than when I started college. I, I'm going to love Jesus more when I'm 75 than when I was 45. That, that with every passing season of my life, I'm just going to fall in love with Jesus more. Learn to love Jesus more. Now, now listen to me. If even hearing me talk about loving Jesus like that just sounds weird to you, that's indicative that you have a spiritual problem. That's indicative that perhaps you are more of a church person than a Jesus person, more of a religious person than a Christ follower. Because this, this whole relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. And, and, and it starts with, with, with realizing that he loves us and he wants to know us. And, and for the rest of our lives, we want to know him and we want to love him. So I, I want us to look at this story and, uh, and just talk about it. So it's in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse uh, 36. If they bring the lights up just enough for you to see the text really good, I want us to start in Luke chapter 7 at verse uh, 36, okay? The Bible says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, requesting Jesus to dine with him, wanted him to come to his house and have a meal. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I'll explain that in a minute. There was a woman in that city who was a sinner, likely a prostitute. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. In the Greek, it's literally, it rained tears on his feet. And she kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Father, I ask that you use the example of this woman to teach us how to love your son in the way in which he deserves that he's worthy of. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me give you a little background so this story will make more sense to you. Here's this Pharisee who invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And sometimes when you read the Gospels, Jesus said a lot of negative things about the Pharisees. 
But Jesus loved the Pharisees just like he loved the, the prostitute. He loves everybody. In fact, there's multiple occasions in the Gospels when Jesus entered the house of a Pharisee and had a, had a meal with them. So Jesus was loving everyone, sharing the gospel with everyone. And so this Pharisee has him come in for a dinner. And it's a formal occasion. It's a formal banquet. And they did it differently than we do today because, you know, when when you have a dinner party, the people who come are the people you invite, correct? And we sit at a dining room table or whatever with chairs and our knees are in front of us under the table. Very different then. In fact, these banquets were public occasions. The only people who could sit at the table were the invited guests. The only people who ate the meal, so to speak, were the invited guests. But other people in the city could attend if they wanted to. And so it's like you're having a dinner party and all your guests are sitting around the table eating and others just show up and they stand around the wall, sit in the corners and they watch everything happening and they listen to the conversation. That's the setting, okay? And then if you were poor, their culture was, and, and this, think about this, their culture was after the dinner party, anybody who was poor could have the leftovers to eat. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That, I mean, our, our country could learn something from that. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's at this dinner party in this Pharisee's house, and the other people who haven't been invited are standing around the walls listening, watching. And they're reclining at table, it says. They didn't sit in dining room chairs. They had these low tables, sort of like you might see in parts of Japan today, and people would have a, a bunch of pillows or maybe a low, a, a, a close-to-the-ground couch, and, and you would lie on your left side, and you would eat with your right hand, and that was the, the, the position you would assume, and your feet would be facing away from the table toward the walls. And so in the midst of this, this, this setting, this woman, Shows up because she had heard word had gotten out that Jesus was in that Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. Jesus is in Simon's house, and she gets word of that. And she shows up. She's not an invited guest, she's just one of those strangers. And she's carrying a, a vial, an alabaster vial of perfume. It's expensive. And, and it's, it's a round container, if you will, with a long neck. And when you, when you pour it out, you have to break the neck off and then empty the contents. It's not something she would have had on her person. She, she would have gone out and purchased it or gone back to her house and gotten it. And she, so she's coming there with the intent of, of anointing Jesus in some way. And so the dinner party's going on, and she, she makes her way into the room, and she's, she's standing directly behind Jesus at his feet. And she's so overcome with emotion because of, of what it means to, to, to know the love of God, to, to be forgiven, to, to have a God who cares about her and can fix her life and make a difference in her life. And she's so overcome with emotion, she, the, the tears just rain down. It's just like a, a flood of emotion. And they're falling on his feet. They're, they're wetting his feet. Now, he would have been barefoot. Because when you lie down to eat, you take the sandals off. That's the first thing you do. And in that dry, arid culture of Palestine, walking on those dirt roads and and, and there wasn't a lot of grass, uh, wearing sandals, what do you think happened to your feet? I mean, they got filthy. And so the, the, the culture was when you invited someone into your home and, and they accepted the invitation, you would offer them a pail of water or have a servant bring them a pail of water and wash their feet. 
Simon the Pharisee didn't do that. He, he offered nothing to wash Jesus' feet. And so this sinner woman, this prostitute, her tears become the water to clean his feet. And as she, she falls on her knees, she doesn't have a towel. Her hair. And Jewish women all had long hair and they would wear it up covered with a scarf like you might see in parts of the Middle East today. And and they would wear a veil from the chin down. And in public, a woman would never take that scarf or veil off, would never, never let her hair down. In fact, if she did that, it was legal grounds for her husband to divorce her and owe her absolutely no alimony. But she takes her hair down. It's not like the movies you see on TV. They're all wrong. (laughs) And she takes her hair and uses it as a towel with her tears and she cleans his feet. And in the the Greek language, she, she just kept wiping his feet with her hair. Do you get the picture? And then she kissed his feet. Literally, repeatedly. Some of you have held little babies or your grandchildren and, 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 and you hold them up and they're so cuddly and cute and you just, you just kiss them over, you know, like a, you just keep kissing them on the forehead or the cheek or the belly, right? Some of, you, some of you have done that with little sisters or cousins or nieces. You just kiss them over and over, you just kiss on them. And it's not with the same attitude, but it's that picture of just repeatedly kissing his feet. Those dirty feet that were kind of spottedly clean with her tears and hair, she's kissing. And then she takes that that vial, that bottle of perfume, and she breaks the the, the long stem off, and and she she anoints his his feet with it. Normally they would put inexpensive oil of oil on someone's head to, an, to anoint them at a dinner party. But she's got this expensive perfume and she's anointing his feet. The same feet that would later be, be nailed to the cross. And Jesus lets her. He, he doesn't tell her to stop. He doesn't tell her she's doing something wrong. He, he ends up bragging on her. And the Pharisee who invited Jesus to the dinner party has been watching all of this. And, and again, they know who she is. She's in that city, from that city. They know who she is. They know her reputation. And that Pharisee begins thinking to himself, the Bible tells us in this story, begins thinking to himself that, that if Jesus was really a prophet, if he, was, if he was real, not a phony, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. And he would not allow her to even touch him. Because in his mindset, for someone like her to even touch him would make Jesus religiously and spiritually, ceremonially unclean and defiled and dirty and sinful. It's like she was somehow contagious or something. And because Jesus is letting her touch him... He must not know what kind of woman she really is. And therefore the conclusion is he's not really a prophet. He's a fake. And 
And Jesus says to Simon, because Jesus, see, he, he knows what Simon was thinking, just like he knows. Do, do you know that Jesus knows what you're thinking right now? Jesus knows what, you're, what you'll be thinking your first day of college. Jesus knows what you think when you go to work tomorrow morning. And so he, he, he looked at Simon and said, Simon, I'm going to tell you something. Simon said, okay, go ahead, teacher. And then in the following verses, Jesus told a parable. And he said, Simon, there was this, there, there was this money lender. Think of him as, as, a, as a banker. And there, there was a man who owed him 500 denarii and another who owed him 50 denarii and they weren't able to pay it back. Now, a, denar- a denarius was equal to one day's salary, one day's wage for a common laborer. So think about the guy who owed 500 denarii. If you work five days a week, say 50 weeks a year, taking two weeks vacation, that's 250 days, two years salary. This guy owed the money lender. The other one owed him 50 denarii, equal to, to, to 10 weeks of work, almost three months of salary. Neither of them were able to pay it back. And Jesus said, the money lender chose to graciously forgive the debt. Just wipe the balance sheet clean, put big old zero. And then Jesus asked the question, now which of those guys do you think would be more thankful, more excited, more grateful, more enthused? Which one do you think? And Simon gets what Jesus is really trying to say, and he begrudgingly says, probably the one who was forgiven the most. And then it's interesting, the Bible says that Jesus looked at the woman. Now get this picture. She's behind him, so Jesus kind of turns around and he's, he, he looks at her, but he doesn't speak to her. Looking at her, he speaks to Simon the Pharisee. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Because Simon didn't see who she really was. Do you, do, do you see her? It's amazing how often we, we look right over, right, right beyond, right, right past people. Do, do you see her, Simon? I, I came into your house, Simon, and you did not give me any water to wash my feet, but she, she washed my feet with her tears. Simon, the cultural norm when you invite a guest into your house was to greet them at the door. We would do it with a handshake, maybe a hug. You greet them at the door with a kiss on the cheeks. A kiss of greeting. Simon, you didn't do that, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, it's customary in our culture. When when you invite a guest to your house and you sit down, you recline at the table to eat dinner, that you anoint their head with olive oil. I'm still glad we don't have that custom today, but that was their custom. You didn't do that, Simon. But she anointed my feet with expensive perfume. You didn't treat me like an honored guest. She has. And then Jesus in verse 47 
said her, her sins, which are many, he knew what kind of woman she was. Jesus knew her heart. He knew her past. Jesus knows every, Jesus knows every mistake we make, every sin we commit, everything we succeed at, all of our fears. He knows it all. He knew her completely. Her many sins have been already forgiven. For she loved much. The the reason she's expressing so much love is she has experienced forgiveness. She gets it. And then Jesus added, but the one who's forgiven little loves little. It wasn't because Simon had committed less sin than her. Maybe he was worse. We don't know. But it was all how they saw themselves. You see, To know the joy of forgiveness, you have to repent. And before you repent, you have to be honest with yourself about who you really are. About sin and lostness. And as long as you think more like the Pharisee that, hey, I'm better than that person and I'm better than those and I'm better than him and I'm better than her and and, 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 and you don't see much darkness in you. You don't see that, that you are a sinner and that you're lost and that hell is real and, and that salvation is a gift. Then you're not, you're not going to know the great joy of Christ because you don't see the need for it. And then Jesus just to make sure everybody understands, looks at the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now, I want, I want to tell you some things about loving Jesus from, from, from her story. Because I, I think this is a profound story. And here, here's the first lesson about loving Jesus. is a great love, and I'm going to call it that, a great love for Jesus. A great love for Jesus is a choice. It's a choice. See, some of you are going to meet somebody here in the next few years and fall in love. And I get that. I experience that. But if you're going to keep love alive and growing, you've got to make choices to do it. It will not happen naturally. You've got to make loving choices, choices to be kind, choices to, to, to develop it, to cherish it, to nurture it. And it's the same thing with your relationship with Jesus Christ. This, this woman, she made the choice. She, listen, she heard that Jesus was in the house, and she made the decision to go to that house. She made the decision to either purchase or take from her own house that vial of perfume. That was intentional. It was a choice. And and your choices in life as a husband and wife, the choices you make are either going to build your marriage as the years pass or weaken it as the years pass. And the same thing is true in your relationship with Jesus because there are people in this room, you started started off like a a big blaze. You started off as a bundle of energy spiritually and now you're just a flicker of a flame. 
You've got to make the choices that that fan the flame of love in relationships and in your relationship with Christ. And and if you go off to college, young people, or you adults, you you get so involved in everything going on that Jesus and worship and, and devotions and so on are an afterthought rather than the first thought. I will tell you now your love will vanish. It will die out. You got to fan the flames. You got to make choices to keep your love for Jesus fresh and growing and alive. It's a choice. You know, back to the flowers I brought Monisa. No holiday, no, no, no birthday, no special. Do you know what I was doing when I bought those flowers? This will sound really romantic and spiritual. You know what I was doing? I was buying a few groceries at Bilo. That's what I was doing. I was buying groceries at Bilo. I said, I'm going to get some flowers and take them to my bride. Because you just got to, you got to make choices along the way. What choices are you making? And what is it, what is it doing to your relationship, your love for Jesus Christ? Here's the second thing. Love takes, a great love for Jesus is going to take courage. Because, you know, loving Jesus is not the popular thing in our culture, is it? You're going to find whether you're going to Carolina, Clemson, Winthrop, or anywhere else, the majority of people in your class do not love Jesus. The majority of your professors will not love Jesus. The majority of the people you meet on campus will not love Jesus. In fact, I got news for you. There's a lot of people who come to church here every Sunday that ain't too in love with Jesus, so to speak. Just because you're religious and you're at church doesn't mean you're really growing in your love for Jesus, does it? See, it takes courage to be different. And if you're really going to love Jesus with a great love, you're going to be different. And if you can't be okay with being different, you're never going to do anything eternally great in life. Because loving Jesus just just cuts against the grain. It's not the norm. And so it, it takes some courage. Now, I, I told you that it was it was it was their culture to allow strangers to come in and sit around the wall during a, a banquet, right? So she was allowed to be there. But guess what? They didn't want her there because they knew who she was. And when she walked in the room, can't you imagine all the heads turning and just staring as she walked in? It it took courage for this woman whose reputation was so bad. It took courage. Luke uses the word sinner. It's It's a word that in his gospel means an immoral person and most of the time a prostitute. It took courage for this woman to walk into the house of one of the most religious men in the community. It took courage. It's going to take courage for you not to love some really enticing temptation more than you love Jesus. It's going to take courage for you to say no to some person so you can say yes to Jesus. It's going to take real courage to when you're just bored, and we all have those moments when we're just bored to tears. It's going to take courage when you're bored to, to not Go do something stupid to have fun instead of saying yes to Jesus and things that are smart 
Don't take some courage. When you all leave home and go wherever you're going this fall, you're going to have all kinds of experiences when it's going to take courage for you to still love Jesus and not just become like everybody else. Here's another thing about a great love for Jesus. It has to be, it has to be shown. It has to be obvious. You can't, you can't you know, hide it. You can't keep it a secret. Let me ask you, do you think there was anyone in that room who had any doubt about how this one felt about Jesus? Huh? Well, do the people where you work know how you feel about Jesus? I'm, I'm not asking if they know you go to church or not. Do they know how you feel about Jesus? Grand, grandparents, do your grandkids know how you feel about Jesus? Not that they know you go to church and you go to Sunday school and you're religious and all that, but do they know how you feel about, about Jesus Christ? See, here, you, you know one of the temptations you all are going to face in August? You all have grown up in your families, your church, et cetera, et cetera, got your routine, okay? And you're going to go off to wherever you're going to go. And unless you're going with a cluster of your friends, nobody there is going to know who you are. And when you first meet all those people, that's when you're going to let them know who you are. And you're either going to take this Jesus stuff and you're going to just kind of push it down, put it on the back burner, just push it down and, and hide it. But if you want to have a great love for Jesus, you just got to put it out there that this is who I am. And you got to get engaged in, in those things that help that and foster that. And you've got, you just got, this is who I am. And you got to do it from the start because if you don't do it from the start, it's harder later on. And you'll end up with more regrets. Here's the fourth lesson. Great love for Jesus is not ashamed. See, I I told you Jewish women wore their hair up and kept it covered and they never let it down in public and that was a bad thing. And here's, here's this lady in front of all these people who are looking at her and judging her and she's, she's not ashamed to break the cultural norms and go against the grain and, 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 and tell all of them just how much she loves him. A great love for Jesus has no place for being ashamed. And you know something else? A great love for Jesus is going to affect your emotions. I mean, she's raining tears. Great love for Jesus touches not only your head but your heart. Your decisions and your feelings, your emotions. And that's that's good. That's good. Because some of you you when you, hey Y'all remember what it's like when you fell in love, huh? Some of y'all mind, you remember what it's like when you fell in love? We just get silly, right? You giddy. You drive down the highway and, you, and she sits just as close to you as you can get her. Now you don't even hold hands. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you need to hold hands. Okay? What was I, what was I preaching? I done forgot. <laughs> That's what happens when I chase those rabbits. <laughs> you have all those emotions. Don't, don't let your emotions for Jesus die. 
The great love from time to time needs to be extravagant. Now, I've got to be honest, okay, transparent. I didn't spend a lot for her flowers. Buy Lowe's is a cheap place to buy flowers. Right? But every now and then, you buy the expensive stuff. Every now and then, love has to be extravagant. And, and don't spend all your time just giving Jesus the little things that you can pick up cheap, the little things that are left over. From time to time, like she, she took that expensive vial of perfume, broke the, 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 the funnel, and she poured it. Sometimes you just got to get extravagant in what you're going to do in your marriage and in your family. And sometimes you've got to get extravagant when it comes to your relationship with Christ. Don't always think small and little. And let me wrap it up. How you treat Jesus in your daily life says a lot about how much you love him. Now, I want you to notice, who, why is Jesus in this house? Hmm? He's in this house because this guy named Simon the Pharisee invited him, right? He invited Jesus to come into his house. Have you, have you ever invited Jesus into your life? Have you ever invited Jesus into your heart? Well, how have you treated him since he showed up? Revelation says that, you know, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And if you open your heart, he'll come in and he'll fellowship with you and you with him. You invited Jesus into your life. You, in, you invited Jesus into your heart. How, how have you treated him since you invited him in? Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus into his house. Jesus accepted the invitation. He's reclining at the table. But Simon the Pharisee, after inviting Jesus into his house, did not do the customary things you do to an honored guest. He did not offer him water to wash his feet. He did not greet him with a kiss on the cheek. He did not anoint his head with oil. Simon, who invited Jesus to the house, after Jesus said yes and came into the house, treated him like anything but an honored guest. It was the woman who treated Jesus like someone special. And how many of us have in the past said, Jesus, come into my life and save me. I I invite you into my heart and, and I accept eternal life. Jesus, come into me. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Save me. I want you, Jesus. And then ever since then, we treated him like Simon treated Jesus. Instead of treating him like the honored guest, he really is. Think about this. The God of the universe lives within you. Think about that. The the Jesus who was nailed to that cross for you, who loved you so much he did that, is the one who accepted your invitation to be in your life. And now that he's in your life and he's forgiven you and he's given you eternal life and he's promised you a home in heaven and he doesn't leave you and he doesn't abandon you now that he's there, how are you treating him? And graduates, how are you going to treat him in August? 
How are you going to treat him on Sunday mornings when you're at college? And how are you going to treat him on Friday and Saturday nights at college? Because the way you answer those questions are going to go a long way in determining what your life turns out to be. And you may not see it now, but anyone who's lived very long realizes that what I just said is the absolute truth. So choose wisely and treat them well because he's, he, he wants to treat you well. He wants to do so much for you through the fun and the not so fun, through the good and the not so good because we're all going to have all of those, aren't we? But you know what love does? When, you st- when, when Monisa and I stood in front of that preacher, just like so many in this room, what those vows say? Rich or poor, sickness, health. It doesn't say good or bad, but it should. <laughs> right? It's like, do you, do you know what you do if you want to have a great family and a great marriage? Is you, just, you just keep showing love through all of it. You know how you keep things right with God? You just keep loving him through all of it. And watch what happens. You come out on the other side with a deeper love and a better life. So that's my, my challenge to everybody in this room. Just love Jesus more. Just, just love him more. Just, just love him more. Just, just love him more. Just love him. Just love him. Let's stand.